Hello and welcome back for mile 16 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast presented by Run In. We're excited to have special guest with us tonight, Marnie Sumbal. Marnie is a coach with Try Marnie Coaching and Nutrition, a certified sports dietitian, 14-time Ironman finisher, and maybe most importantly for tonight's episode, author of the new book, Essential Sports Nutrition, a guide to optimal performance for every active person. So we are going to dive into all sorts of sports nutrition topics with Marnie. You're used to hearing the wrap up of track and field and road racing to begin with, but we're going to save that so we have plenty of time here for this discussion and we will pick back up there next week. So Marnie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, and thanks for the opportunity to share the information about my book with your followers. We are really excited to have you here, and there is a ton of great stuff in this. I was really pleased to have an advanced digital copy that I got to go through, and I was reminded of a lot. I learned a lot, and I got really excited for some recipes at the very end that we're going to talk about here as we move through the book. Yeah, you can't have an athlete-focused book without some good fuel at the end. That is exactly right. Yeah. Marnie, could you give us a little bit of background, your story, what brought you to 14-time Ironman coach, author, and all these other wonderful things? Yeah, I grew up as a swimmer in Kentucky, and I swam starting around the age of about 10, so a little late for for most competitive swimmers, and swam all the way through college. And then when I went to graduate school in Florida, I was really missing the competitiveness, the, the team aspect of sport. And I was doing exercise classes like kickboxing and spin classes just to kind of stay in shape because I, I love to work out and feel fit. And when I was in graduate school getting my Master of Science in Exercise Physiology, I heard of this thing called a marathon. <laughs> and I have never ran more than six miles before. I kind of dabbled in cross country for one season when I was swimming just to try something different and enjoyed it. But I, uh, when I heard about the marathon, I was like, okay, I can run 26.2 miles. And so I worked my way up and I ended up running the Miami Marathon in 2000 and I think it was 2006 I ran it and I ended up qualifying for the Boston Marathon. Great start. And I didn't even know what the Boston Marathon was. (laughs) I'm not kidding. And I share this story a lot, but it's just kind of funny how you just kind of do something and then you get hooked and then you figure out that there's something more exciting you can train for or a long distance or a bigger event and so I was really excited once I learned what the Boston Marathon was and then I uh, got into triathlon I had just participated in a few short distance races when I was back in Kentucky but I got into the longer distances shortly after because I felt like, oh, my body can do this endurance stuff. So I signed up for a half Ironman, and then I signed up for an Ironman. So it was a very quick transition in 2006. I did, um, actually my first marathon was 2005. Boston, I did it in 2006. Then I did my first half Ironman a few weeks later, and then did my first full Ironman 
that year in November and ended up winning my age group and qualifying for the Ironman World Championship the following year. That was a busy year full of a lot of accomplishments. It was a very busy year. uh, And I realized that my body was designed to do endurance sports. I didn't really know much about it, but it was something that was very fun for me. It was a new challenge and I really enjoyed the atmosphere and just calling myself a triathlete. And so that's how it all started about 12 years ago. During that time, my education has grown and I've gotten myself into a career focusing on sports nutrition. After I got my master's degree, I went back to school to become a registered dietitian. And then I I started my private practice where I help athletes coach athletes, work with athletes on on nutrition. I focus on endurance athletes as well as runners and triathletes just because that's my specialty area. And I work with any type of individual who is participating in an athletic event in any at any fitness level very rewarding for me as far as my journey as athlete i've done 14 ironmans i've qualified for the ironman world championship six times and i really do enjoy the sport and what it's given me in return i have a great team of athletes that we coach my husband and i he transfer over from cycling to become a triathlete as well on his own terms and he's enjoying it as well and so we've really just enjoyed this active lifestyle and uh, four years ago we moved from Florida to Greenville and really enjoying being in close to the mountains perfect playground for cycling and lots of hills for running and a great community all together. Wonderful. So what inspired this newest project with the book? Well, I was approached to write a book and I couldn't turn down the opportunity. It was definitely a dream come true for me, something I've always wanted to do. And uh, when I heard that the book was going to be about sports nutrition, I was just over the moon excited because it's an area that not only I specialize in, but just an area I'm passionate about. And I feel like the topic is very confusing for a lot of athletes, but it's one that can really be a game changer, a game changer for the elite athlete who's looking to take their fitness to the next level and look for those marginal gains and enhance performance to to the average age grouper or the newbie age grouper who, who feels limited by nutrition or feels that they get GI issues or their body composition has changed in an unfavorable way or they want they're having health issues and so I think it's an area that can really enhance performance as well as health and I hope that athletes can benefit from the information in the book to apply that information to their active lifestyle. That confusion that you mentioned is one of the biggest reasons we wanted to have you on the show. It's also a reason a few episodes ago during our marathon and half marathon training series that we talked about some race prep nutrition ideas because it's the stuff we hear all the time from folks that they just don't have the answers Mm -hmm. for. So we are going to go through your book, through each of the sections in your book and, and start to dive into some of those answers and wet the palate of the folks so that they might want to read in a little bit more. Wonderful. To begin, the opening section of the book is how what we consume affects our bodies. And a couple things stuck out to me here on two topics, hydration and electrolytes. Yes. Which are really kind of buzzwords in in racing and in competition Mm -hmm. because everybody knows them but I'm not sure that we all understand them and how they affect performance. Uh, So the passage on hydration that really stuck out to me is about proper amount of water intake 
on an average day, we're not really talking about competition now, just on the normal day for, for the average person, what kind of fluid consumption should we be getting in? Yeah, it's interesting that you bring this up because a lot of for a lot of athletes, water is one of those things that's definitely overemphasized. Make sure you drink water, don't be dehydrated, but it's something that a lot of athletes fall short on. And I think a few reasons they they don't really know how to identify when they're thirsty. They tend to confuse thirst with hunger or the other way around. A lot of individuals tend to catch up with their hydration as the day goes on mm-hmm. and um, then they end up over drinking and then end up having to run to the bathroom a lot at night um, a lot of individuals don't know how to drink properly before and after workout so they go into workouts dehydrated uh, and then they end up guzzling water after the workout and a lot of people just don't like water and so it's it's hard to get people to meet their fluid needs and for men and women uh, they need a lot of water and the body's made up of a lot of water but you still need to drink it so in the book you'll see some recommendations for fluid intake Uh, for males it's 125 fluid ounces or 3.7 liters and for women 91 fluid ounces or 2.7 liters now it's important that of that we do want to emphasize water but we can count things like tea and coffee and smoothies and uh, milk so other fluids but also about 80 percent of that uh, we want from fluid but the rest of it can come from watery foods it can come from fruits and vegetables Mm -hmm. it can come from soups other ways that we get the the fluids it doesn't have to be just from water and i like thinking about it that way as opposed to this classic recommendation we always heard i think 64 ounces of water seemed like this across the board recommendation we heard for a lot of years and considering that holistically maybe gives people a better idea of what their body really needs yeah and and people it's it's a guideline but people also have to think about what their body is telling them so if you're if you're peeing excessively throughout the day maybe it's too much water for you um, if you are feeling some of the effects of dehydration which I list in the book then you may not be drinking enough water and this is just as a baseline and then on top of that we include fluid intake from our workouts as well and a good way to think about it you know if you are struggling with water is to think about it as when you do a a sweaty workout and you go into the shower it feels great to wash off you feel so clean and refreshed but when it comes to drinking water that's what your insides are feeling when Mm -hmm. you every time you drink you feel refreshed and clean and it helps with digestion and so there's so many purposes of fluid consumption that helps with metabolism and just overall health and so we really want to make the effort to make sure that people or that that you're drinking enough throughout the day you also do have a nice uh, chart in there about like the urine color analysis that can be that can be valuable for people like as you discussed there but maybe my favorite chart in the book is a breakdown on electrolytes so electrolytes what are they how do we get them How do we use them? Because I think there's a lot of misconception. Yeah, they're positive and negative charge ions. 
that we find in our body in the blood and they all serve a purpose and I have a chart in here we have sodium potassium calcium magnesium I list the role of each of them in the body so as an example sodium it helps maintain fluid balance and blood pressure transmit nerve signals and then also the main food sources so as an example a lot of people associate calcium is found in milk and yogurt um, but people may not know that magnesium that helps with our muscle contractions that it's found in Swiss chard or dark chocolate and so it's important for people to appreciate all of the electrolytes and we can get them from real food I Sodium is the most important one because it's found in the most in the greatest concentration in our blood and it's the one that when it gets out of whack from dehydration that athletes tend to suffer issues. And so it is one that we want to pay attention to when it comes to the daily diet, when it comes to before and after workouts, so rehydrating and when it comes to using sports nutrition products. And and I do talk about that in the book of how to understand how much sodium you need should you are you an athlete that needs to preload so taking in sodium before a competition to boost plasma volume uh, so that your heart can work more effectively during the workout especially if it's a hot weather race also females in their high hormone phase they may want to preload as well and then also rehydrating a lot of athletes will just drink water after a workout but that's not replenishing the electrolytes that you lost in sweat and so I go into a lot of detail I do agree that it is an area that a lot of athletes are confused by because water and sodium seem to be emphasized but a lot of athletes don't know how to apply those guidelines to their active active routine as well as their daily lifestyle. Beautiful segue into the next section because we have discussed uh, sodium loading for example before competition on the show before uh-huh. and that's a great opportunity for folks who emailed into the show and were really interested about that topic. We got questions about it and yeah. tried to give people more detail, but you could really unpack more of that here in the book. Yep. And in the next section on nutrient timing for better results, we're taking all the stuff we consume in part one of the book, mm-hmm. and now we are working that to try to time it out for when it's best for us as endurance athletes. Yes. So... Maybe uh, a little bit of background, Marnie, on what is nutrient timing and why it is so significant for an endurance athlete. Well, when you think about nutrient timing, I think the first thing that active individuals may relate to is this idea of having a recovery drink, right? You finish your workout, have a recovery drink. That's the the concept of nutrient timing. There's a key opportunity when you want to be taking in carbohydrates, protein, fluids, sodium. And so a lot of people, they go to the gym and immediately afterwards they'll have a smoothie. Well, is that appropriate for everybody? Is that needed for everybody? Not necessarily. One of the things that I go into detail, which I felt like a lot of athletes struggle with, is how do I know how to recover after a workout? When do I need a recovery smoothie? When can I just have a snack? When can I just have a meal? And so I go into detail what type of workout you're doing and what to be eating after the workout. So that's just one example of nutrient timing. But really the concept is to 
to plan your food and fluid intake around the workout so that you can have favorable performance gains, so that you can adapt the best that you can. Now, for some athletes, it may be the strategic consumption of food, so making sure that you eat a certain amount of carbohydrates before. And for some athletes, it may be avoiding carbohydrates before a workout. So there's certain adaptations that the athlete wants to make, whether it's from a performance standpoint, changing physiology, maybe it's mental as well. There's certain things that athletes want to do to take their performance to the next level or just to get the most out of that workout. Fantastic. A couple golden rules that you might have in this nutrient timing uh, arena? That's a great question. As far as golden rules, things that I recommend for athletes or I apply to my own active lifestyle, uh, I think just the golden rules of always supporting your workouts with nutrition. You know, we live very stressful lives. Everybody here that's listening, probably going to work right now or juggling kids and a lot on the daily plate. And and training or exercise, it's often an escape. You know, for the elite or the professional, they try to remove those added stressors and they want to get the most out of their training session. So regardless of how you classify yourself, what type of athlete you are, training is stress and life is stressful. And so we don't want to make our training routine more stressful than it needs to be. And so what we want to think about is how can I reduce overall stress? And one way that I feel that athletes can reduce overall stress is to make sure that they eat before the workout, that they eat after the workout, and if the workout warrants the use of sports nutrition, high intensity, long volume, uh, maybe a very hot workout that's moderate intensity, moderate volume, then we want to think about, well, if I support my body with proper nutrition before, during, and after the workout, not only will I have a quality training session, but I'm going to bounce back from it better because my body's not going to be compromised. My immune system's going to be healthier. I'm not going to release as many stress hormones. I won't be in a depleted state. My body can recover quicker. I think that's probably my golden rule. And although it sounds simple, it is overwhelming for a lot of athletes because they don't think about eating after the workout or they forget to eat before the workout or they're scared to take in nutrition during a workout. And hopefully the book answers a lot of those questions, provides appropriate guidelines for for athletes of all levels uh, to help athletes with that golden rule of supporting your training sessions with proper fuel. And would you agree that once you find those answers, the more you practice them in your training, the more effective they'll be when you get to competition time? Absolutely. I find that a lot of athletes that tend to undervalue or just don't apply the concepts of nutrient timing, they get to their competition, whether it's a, a road race or a triathlon or a soccer competition or a basketball tournament, and they get to this the the big the big day and it's like what do I eat and they they lose confidence in that and it's not only risking GI issues um, which you already going to be at greater risk because of nerves and anxieties that's just normal but you're you're going to lose the confidence because 
you don't know what you need to eat in order to perform at your best. So we do wanna use a lot of these training sessions to dial in the nutrition. I think it's much more appropriate for athletes that are in endurance sports um, where that fuel can, or that food can fuel the upcoming performance, but it still applies to team sport athletes as well because you don't want to be hungry during an event and then realize, oh my gosh, I should have eaten something before, but I had no idea what I needed to eat. So let's set up a hypothetical situation for an athletic competition. Let's say we have a male athlete, 30s, 5'11"-ish. You wouldn't happen to know this athlete. This is very hypothetical. (laughs) Hosts a podcast. Okay. And we're about five, six weeks from now, and he's running a marathon. Okay. Uh, he's not making a living off of running. Okay. He's not terrible. Okay. <laughs> and let's kind of step through here in some time leading up to that, and maybe then the day of the race during the competition and a little bit after. Just a few things you would think of for that profile of that very hypothetical athlete. <laughs> Uh, that stick out to you, you would say, okay, maybe these are some things this person should be working on. And maybe the average person out there is not thinking about doing those things. Well, first of all, for this hypothetical person, I would like to ask some questions to get to know this. Please do. Let's try. The athlete. And so maybe you can help with these questions. I'd love to. So my first question would be, what would be the goal time that the athlete is wanting to complete the marathon in? Because that gives me a good idea of the intensity Mm -hmm. and the fitness level of the athlete. Wow, that really puts this person on the spot. I um, let's let's get round here so that it's a little easier for our listeners. Yep. And I'll just say a round number of someone who's running less than three hours okay. for a marathon. I think everybody can agree that that is a very elite time for the average person. But for perhaps the elite athlete, we can say that this is something that they have trained for and that they feel prepared that they can do. So three hours. Um, Now, another question would be, does this athlete have any food intolerances or any issues, allergies, any dislikes with, with food that we would normally recommend before a competition? No, great question. Nothing as far as food allergies, the regular traditional allergies, the the pollen and the mold and all that stuff that we see this time of year. But it'll be run in a fairly mild climate. It'll be a cool race, low humidity, potentially a good time to attack a a lower time. Okay. And that was going to be a next question is what would the weather be like? Um, is the course going to be a, a difficult course, like an off-road triathlon or off-road running race, or is it going to be a flat and fast type of course? Road race with some rolling hills early, but actually it's a point to point with a net downhill. Okay. All right. And all of this is really helpful because when you're planning for a race, you want to consider everything about the race. Another question would be, is this a type of race where you're going to need to take a bus to the start? Will you be able to walk to the start? Is it a delayed start like like the Boston Marathon mm-hmm. where we're looking at 10, 11 o'clock, or is it the typical 6, 7 a.m. start? Yeah, 7 a.m. with a walk to the start. And these are great because these are the things everybody should be asking themselves, yep. right, as they walk through their preparation. Yep. So yeah, 7 a.m., walk to the start, 
probably somewhere around 40 degrees would be okay. the average start time temperature. Okay. Uh, another question, will you be traveling to the race? And if so, what are your accommodations like? Are you going to have a microwave? Do you just have mm-hmm. a coffee pot? Do you have a full kitchen? Yeah, I got to fly to this one and flying out like three days before okay. to get some time to get acclimated there, staying in a hotel and I'll have a fridge and microwave and that kind of stuff. Nice. And then last question, is this race at altitude? No, it's actually really close to sea level. I think three, 400 feet above sea level maybe. Okay. So it would be at a lower elevation than what we're used to All here right. being in the foothills. Okay. As it relates to your training nutrition, and we don't have to go into specific detail because I want to make sure that this applies to everybody, but Mm -hmm. those are important questions that I want every listener to think about, regardless of your sport, if it's triathlon, if it's running, uh, swimming, think about these questions going into the race or the event. As far as nutrition goes, prior to the race, we want to make sure that you are gradually decreasing foods that will upset your stomach so if there's anything that you've had experience in the past that doesn't sit well more of gassy foods like broccoli cauliflower maybe asparagus high fiber high foods. fiber that was my first yeah thought. muffins yeah. bran um, even some some breads as well that that may be higher fiber whole grain we want to think about if you were to have an upset stomach, you were sick with a stomach flu, what would be foods that would sit very well? Maybe uh, brothy-like soups, Mm -hmm. saltine crackers, white rice, and then we can add in some some protein as well, chicken, tofu, depending on on your preferences. Uh, So we really want to make sure that we stick to a lower residue diet. That's something I talk about in the book to help clear the digestive tract to make sure that you're not going to risk an upset stomach from a lot of bulk in, in the intestines from continued digestion. I also like athletes to carb load earlier in the day and not to eat every carbohydrate in sight. So as an example, we want to have a bigger breakfast in the morning, something like pancakes, French toast, granola. Now we're talking. Yeah, and then taper off the food as the day goes on so that you're still eating carbohydrates, but it's less volume. So we're not going to bed with a really full stomach full of bowls of pasta or pizza That's that could essentially upset the stomach, cause disruptive sleep, maybe just not make the athlete feel well from the feeling of having lots of food, it's still digesting in the gut. So I like my athletes to think of the day as let's start with a very rich carbohydrate meal and then decrease the volume as the day goes on. And this would apply for that 72 hours out. Yeah, and I think that that's one that I've found through experience over time to reiterate the time that you eat that last meal of the day before you race. Yeah. Now, in my situation here with a 7 a.m. race the, the next morning, I don't want to be having dinner at 10 p.m., right. right, and having all that sitting in my stomach. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. Eating foods that are familiar to you. Simple um, and familiar, Simple right? and familiar and well-practiced. So maybe going through a scenario in training where you're eating similar foods, treating it like race day. Yeah. Um, sometimes athletes like to use a, a tune-up race to kind of go through and practice some of those rituals as well. And then as far as the pre-race and during-race nutrition, this should all be something that should be well-practiced in training. If athletes are really confused and still can't figure it out by reading my book, they want to reach out to somebody who specializes in nutrition for this sport, this type of athlete, who can really take away the guessing and help dial things in. Mm -hmm. Great. In part three, you go into optimal performance for every athlete. And I'd like to transition a little bit to the recovery. We went through some good prep for the race that you just went into. And and there's some great stuff uh, on recovery and how we can eat to recover. In particular, I really enjoyed sections on eating to counter inflammation, soreness, injury. Could you get into some of the examples there? Yeah. Every athlete should think about that your workout doesn't stop until you recover. And so once you stop sweating or your heart rate goes down, now you have that prime opportunity where you need to benefit from the workout. Your body's in a very depleted, destroyed state, and we want to to maximize the fitness now. And recovery is everything that happens between two workouts. And so we want to kickstart that recovery as soon as possible. A few ways we can do that, we can look into protein, carbohydrates, so the macronutrients, but there's also some ways that we do and don't want to recover. We don't want to recover by popping an anti-inflammatory like ibuprofen or Aleve because we want the body to do that naturally. A body is prepared to do that. It needs to release chemicals that will help the body fight inflammation, but if we're using a, a an over-the-counter chemical to do that, then the body doesn't create new ways to do that so that you can recover faster and better. So we really want to eliminate the anti-inflammatories as much as possible. Obviously, it's a case-by-case when athletes really need to use them. Um, We also want to avoid the excessive intake of uh, antioxidants in terms of pills. There's some research that shows that when athletes overdo it on antioxidants, uh, vitamin C, vitamin E, uh, vitamin A, vitamin um, D, a lot of these fat and water-soluble vitamins taken in pill form, they can actually counter a do the effects of what you just did. So instead of the body trying to repair itself, now the body is creating more stress because of these. Now, having said that, let's use real food. And although there is some research that says do not take anti- oxidants after like berries and things like that after a workout, uh, there's not enough research for me to say athletes don't eat cherries after a workout or don't eat a banana after a workout. By all means, those are great healthy foods. Uh, We just don't want them in pill form. And one interesting quote-unquote supplement is tart cherry juice. And it's something that you can find in the grocery store. Uh, It's very... It's becoming more popular, and tart cherry juice is something that athletes may look to to help kickstart the recovery process because it's shown to help with inflammation. Great one. That one got me fired up. Yeah. All right. Also in part three, you get into the topic of body image and disordered eating, 
And we at Seconds Flat have been champions of one of our favorite female runners, Shelby Houlihan, who has had an incredible season on the track. And Shelby is also somewhat famous for the posts she'll have on social media of what her diet looks like. And she is very much promoting an idea of one, strength in the female body, and two, a great balance of eating, working hard, enjoying life, and not putting too much pressure on any one of those aspects. So I'd love for you to discuss a little bit of how you get into some of the body image and disordered eating topics within the book. Well, we definitely need more of her as a good role model. You know, unfortunately, the media loves to showcase very lean athletes that kind of fit the mold of this quote-unquote perfect body image. And it's just not realistic. And also, it's not safe for a lot of athletes. Athletes come in all different shapes and sizes. And sometimes the body of an athlete that needs to perform at his or her best, it doesn't look like what the athlete thinks the body needs to look like. Um, So that's something that I really wanted to focus on in the book. I could definitely write a whole book on body (laughs) image and disordered eating. And I want to make sure when athletes read the book that they really do maintain a good relationship with food and their body. Um, The backbone of everything that I write, I've written in the book and all the information It's with the mindset that I want athletes to stay in good health. And that's not only physical health, but also mental health. And I want to make sure that athletes aren't afraid to eat, that they're not scared to eat. They don't feel guilty when they eat. They're not bashing their body, but they're they're thanking their body. And any guideline or tip that I provide in the book, it's really with the mindset that you are not going to sabotage your physical or mental health by trying something new or continuing to do what maybe you were scared to do or what you heard from somebody else. And a lot of athletes, they feel these personal struggles with body image. Um, We do see it a lot in the sport of running. We see it a lot in triathlon. We see it a lot in sports where, where you have a leanness is associated with performance, that the lighter you weigh, the better that you'll perform. Uh, I know in my sport of uh, Ironman endurance triathlon, that that's not necessarily the case, that you need to be strong, not necessarily lean. And strong comes in all different sizes. Mm -hmm. And we do have runners that are coming forth and expressing their struggles with body image by trying to achieve this, this leaner, lighter, body frame just to be able to to run faster and unfortunately eating disorders and disordered eating it it's very popular i get very upset when i hear a lot of experts and coaches that are advising athletes to restrict food around workouts. I've heard coaches tell their athletes they're not allowed to drink during workouts. Um, they're not allowed to fuel before or after their workouts. Just as a way, you know, if you want to gain the competitive edge or you need to do this to lose weight or to reach race weight. And that's definitely not the case. Everybody's different. Another thing is that we live in a society that has such a poor relationship with food, such an unhealthy relationship with food. And 
we have this idea of what the ideal body should look like, especially for athletes. And so people are just so dissatisfied with their body. They, they bash their body. They don't like their body. But in, instead, I want athletes to thank their body, to respect their body, to think about how awesome their body is. I also, in the book, I want to reduce the stigma of eating disorders, um, although it's more common in female athletes, especially in male athletes, that, that you're not weak by talking about disordered eating habits or an eating disorder. Um, so, so male and female athletes, all genders, that we want to create a positive environment, and that's what my words in the book is for coaches and trainers and athletes to, to have a good relationship and with food, but also that if they are struggling, that they will feel comfortable admitting there's an issue and feel comfortable reaching out and talking with professionals. Um, this book, it's not a body image focused book. It's not talking about this is what you need to eat in order to lose weight. I talk about body composition and how to do it safely. But I want athletes to read this book and say, wow, you know, my body is amazing and now I know how to fuel it better and how to hydrate it better and how to take care of it better. Um, I just don't believe that dieting and an athlete should be in the same sentence. And if an athlete does want to change their body composition, you know, reach out to somebody for help. Make sure that you do it correctly uh, so that you can still fuel your body in motion but that you don't sabotage your health and destroy performance in the process well said now my favorite section of the book in the close the recipes yeah food the actual food yummy yummy as a tease for the listeners some things that i'm going to be making here soon the recipes i'm going to immediately be going to the french toast has me really excited the stuffed french toast i'm a huge french toast fan so i can't wait to get into that I like the sounds of this berry cherry smoothie. Uh huh. And then the peanut butter pretzel balls have oh, me yeah. excited as well. What's your favorite recipe you have in here? I actually have two favorite recipes. Okay, that's okay. You can have more than one my when it comes to food. My first one is the carrot cake muffins because Ooh. I love carrot cake. Okay. And I always eat it on my birthday. Um, definitely not a healthy version of carrot cake. I want <laughs> the most unhealthiest, loaded with sugar and fat, but. For the athletes, I made sure that this was a healthier alternative to carrot cake, but without sacrificing that moist, delicious taste of carrot Mm -hmm. cake. Um, So I really like the carrot cake muffins. And then another one is my Bueno breakfast burrito. Mm -hmm. And what I like about this is that the burrito is made with tofu. And a lot of athletes, vegetarian or even meat eaters, There's the consistency issue of tofu. There's the lack of taste issue with tofu. People don't know what to do with tofu. Mm -hmm. I really like this burrito because it is delicious. It's got all the right components to be really tasty, but also it provides a good amount of protein as well. So it's perfect for recovery, for uh, breakfast. And I categorize all the recipes in the book for when I feel that they're best. So athletes can say, okay, rest day. These are the meals I should be focusing on. Okay, before a workout, after a workout, these are the recipes I should be planning ahead. But athletes can eat these anytime. Um, but the Bueno breakfast burrito, it could be great for breakfast. It could be also great for, for dinner as well. Cool. I can't wait to start cooking and baking with yeah. some of your recipes. And we had some folks on your Facebook page write in some questions great. that they wanted us to 
address tonight, and one of them goes right along with the recipes there. Okay. Steve asked, what is a nice make-ahead recipe for the people who are really starved for time? Yeah. Well, I would consider any athlete starved for time because they're just adding one more thing into their already uh, busy plate. And so with every recipe that I have in this book, I really took the athlete in mind. You know, what is the athlete going to want to eat and what are they going to want to make? And for, I would say, the majority of the recipes, they can all be made in 30 minutes or less. And that includes prep time. So most of the recipes only take about 10 to 15 minutes to actually make. I also provide some tips in with the recipes. So how you can plan ahead, how you can make ahead, how you can freeze them so that you can cook them in, in bulk or make ahead and then have them for leftovers. For some of the other recipes that may take more time you may be using the slow cooker or the stove or the oven and so if it takes more time it's just really for the food to cook not necessarily that you're going to need to be there to be adding ingredients to be stirring to be checking on it so for example my slow cooker sweet potato quinoa curry Uh, That does take a few hours, but you can make it in the morning and when you come home from work in the evening, it's going to be prepared. Same thing with my crust free spinach, mushroom, and cheese quiche. You can, t- only takes about 20 minutes to prep, about 40 minutes to, to cook it, but there you can go and you can be running on the treadmill or folding laundry at home and it's going to be done in the next hour. Great, those both sound delightful as well. We also had a question in from Jimmy, which is more of a global reflection really on the book, I think. And he asked, at what age should an athlete, whether an Ironman or a weekend warrior, really focus on nutrition? That's a good question. So when should somebody focus on nutrition? Well, I think everybody should focus on nutrition. The difference between the weekend warrior that's just going out and exercising for health benefits, stress relief, burning calories versus an athlete who is training for adaptations to improve performance, the main difference is going to be the application of nutrient timing and the products that an athlete may utilize to help them reduce some of the stressors, dehydration, glycogen depletion from that specific training that they're doing. Every athlete should appreciate, every fitness enthusiast should appreciate healthy eating. And so they'll get that from reading the book. But then when they're ready to dive into more structured training, more intense, more high volume training, more specific training, they'll also have the tools to know how their diet needs to be adjusted. And I think that's one thing that a lot of uh, weekend warriors and, and fitness enthusiasts, when they take that leap and sign up for a running race or do a triathlon, that when they take that leap, they forget to adjust their diet or they don't know how to adjust their diet. And that's where fatigue and injuries and sickness often occur because they don't realize that something in the diet needs to change. Cool. I'll follow up on Jimmy then and ask another big picture question here of what do you hope athletes will gain by reading your book? That's a great question. I hope that everybody enjoys the book and that it makes the the idea of sports nutrition less confusing. I want people to appreciate 
how easy it is to have a healthy diet and that it doesn't have to be as confusing, extreme, and overwhelming as expert other experts and media and magazine articles as, as people are making out it out to be. It doesn't have to involve restriction. It doesn't have to Uh, involve removing your favorite food groups. You can still eat foods that make you happy. uh, And it's not very, it doesn't require a lot of time to do it. It does require a little, little bit more effort to create some new habits. And I also hope that the book is a guidebook to help people start to change some habits so that they can perform better, live a healthier lifestyle, and then get to the point where either they feel like they have it and they understand what to do on their own or that they feel like they want to take it up a notch and get some help from somebody who can really make the diet more personalized for them. All right. I think the book is an incredible reference that I um, will be going back to again and again for reflection, some reminders at times. And when that idea comes up of what would be best for me in this situation? And, and you're a little lost, or as you said at the beginning, confused about sports nutrition. I think it, it is a reservoir of knowledge that we can continue to go back to time and again. So I'll be picking it up off the bookcase more than once for sure. But you are not off the hot seat yet, Marnie. Okay. It's time for the bell lap. Okay. Uh-oh. Quick hitters here at the end. I haven't warmed up yet. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> best thing you've read recently. I can't say my book, right? (laughs) (laughs) That is off limits. Yeah. Best thing that I've read lately, I have just gotten into peak performance, uh, talking about some mental skills. So that is something that I'm reading right now. If you have not listened to our summer reading list episode, make sure you guys turn in, uh, tune in, excuse me, and listen to that. We mentioned some great books and we mentioned that as on our list of stuff we want to read. So Cool current racing shoe i am wearing the nike pegasus Mm -hmm. i think pegasus turbo yeah the the new pegasus 35 turbo with the the zoom x foam from the vaporfly that is the one that i've been wearing um i only wear them for my brick runs and on race day and every time i put them on they feel like a slipper yes they are in my rotation for training shoes and i like them a lot yep uh favorite place you have raced uh, I have a few favorite places. The one that I've done most recently is Ironman Austria in Klagenfurt, Austria. I also had the opportunity to race a half Ironman in Prague this summer and in, in the heart of Prague. So that was also a really beautiful venue. Um, you can't beat racing in Hawaii mm-hmm. uh, in a really nice place to, to suffer. And um, I've had a lot of great races along the East Coast as well, but one beautiful place that I've enjoyed on the West Coast is in St. George, a beautiful yeah. town of St. George with the Red Rocks and uh, a tough course, but a very beautiful venue. This one keeps coming up in interviews. I was signed up for that this year and got sick and, oh. and, and couldn't go, and so I can't wait to get there yeah. eventually. Your favorite post-competition food or drink? Both of those would be, so food would be pizza, mm. and drink would probably be a glass of milk, so whichever I'm in the, in the mood for first. What toppings are we putting on that pizza? Just cheese pizza, just yeah. plain. Classic. Yeah, simple cheese pizza. I could eat a pizza with you, Mark. Yeah. I can go there. Yep. Your current goals with your competition? Got anything um, you're looking ahead to next? 
I just qualified for the 2019 Ironman World Championship, so that will be on my radar next season to put together the best race possible. I just finished my season, so I'm in technically my off season, but just dabbling in some fun races using the leftover fitness that I have. And uh, next season, I'm signed up for a few half Ironmans and full distance Ironman, and I'm in the point in my athletic career where I am just hoping to get out there and try to place near the top and be competitive and be pushed by those who are faster than me. Awesome. Last one. We won't tell your husband, Corral, the answer to this question. Okay. Celebrity crush? Um, My celebrity crush. Well, he already knows that I, oh, okay. I, yeah, I, I crush on a few of the professional triathletes. Oh, sure. Um, there's Sebastian Keenly and Javier Gomez. Um, those are two that come to mind. So, yeah, and he knows all about okay, that. Okay, so it, it's a pro athlete kind of thing. Yeah. And he's, yeah. yeah, super. Yeah. Marnie, thank you so much for coming in. Again, the book is Essential Sports Nutrition, A Guide to Optimal Performance for Every Active Person. Thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you so much. And if anybody wants to order the book, they can go on Amazon to order it. And we can um, share the link. Or if they go to my Facebook page or my website, trymarniecoach.com, easy to link to that page. You beat me to it. We will have it in the show notes Perfect. for the podcast for sure. Thank you. So thank you guys for listening. That was mile 16 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. As always, you can contact us at secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com with any thoughts or questions. We'd love to hear from you. Also, please subscribe, rate, and review. We appreciate it, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Everybody have a great week.